Here is a fun fact. In ancient Greek, the word idiot meant anyone who is not a politician. Politics, uh, what do you want to say about it? Um, there's too many things, isn't there? Uh, you know, often when we talk about politics, you might begin by saying, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Where can we go? But friends, the purpose of my talk here, the sermon, is uh, not to give my opinions on politics or government or politicians. It's not um, my job here to convict you in this way or that way, to be left, right, centre, up or down. It is to um, align our perspective with what the Bible says about um, about being aliens and strangers in this world. It's so easy to whinge, and everybody has a sad story to tell about what uh, goes on in this world and the conditions of the world that we live in. But God has something to say to us today, uh, which has been was true 2,000 years ago and is no different today. Um, aside from the fact that we don't have an emperor, that we have to have to translate that, and slavery is not such a big thing in our culture today in Australia. Um, those, but, but the principles that we cover today um, uh, apply across time. This sermon is about perspective, keeping our hope and trust in God and not on human structures that cannot, that cannot give us what we ultimately need. You see, we need to do some work today in working out what, what's the place of governments and, 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 and society and our bosses and our workplaces and even in, the, even in our relationships in church, and understand how we relate to everybody as we relate primarily to God. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, remember, said that we have been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, are, we have got a new perspective. Uh, in the book of Colossians, Paul says, now that you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The goal today is to remember to entrust ourselves to the King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who sits over everything and to be sober-minded about our expectations in this world, to be sober-minded about what to expect in this world. So first of all, uh, we, we need to remember who we are, okay? And so these first two verses, 11 and 12, a little bit of a segue from what we've covered so far in the book and leading into what Peter is about to say. Uh, we need to live as aliens in, uh, and remember who we are. We're called to be holy. Chapter 1, verse 15 says, Be holy because I am holy. So align yourself with God. Be conformed to him. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Rid yourselves of all that sinful desires that, 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 that every man and woman struggle with. Remove them now because that's not you anymore. You are, you are a new creation. We are to be holy, and we are to be aliens and strangers. These have already been words given to us in the book. Chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the letter is written to exiles, to strangers, to aliens. In chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Now live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. We need to be living as strangers. So this is not new ideas. Verse 11 and 12 in chapter 2 are not new words. He's picking up from where he's taken us so far. But he says, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
as, as foreigners and aliens, be, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You know, one aspect, one thing that, um, that sets us apart from the rest of the world is our understanding of the conflict that is inside us. The, that while the world might engage in sin and then justify it, we engage with sin and wrestle with it. It's a problem to us. Be holy because God is holy. So as aliens, as, as people who are, who, are, who are behaving differently to the world around us, um, we are to understand this battle of, of, of sin, this battle that wages war against our, our soul. Live radically among locals. Live radically. Not so that you will look different, but because you are different. Be who you are. Remember who you are. You are aliens. You have been lifted up out of this, out of the um, perspective of, of just this world, and we have seen God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. You see, what our motivation is actually not even to make ourselves look good. Our motivation is we serve the king. We serve God. He is our first love. The key here is not about you looking good or even you looking Christian. We're not trying to pretend to be something that we're not, but for God to be praised. Notice just subtly that the passage doesn't say, now you're a Christian, just be perfect, because that's what Christians are. You're perfect now. No, it says actually wrestle with sin. Fight it. You're in a battle now, and it's not a battle out there. It's a battle in here. And so live such good lives among the pagans that as they see you wrestling with, it, with this, they will potentially give glory to God um, one day. How that works out is a mystery to me, but what I think is important is the motivation for why we are trying to, to be pure. It's for God's glory, not, not ours. We, we are alien. We are alien because we see God, because we see Jesus. Uh, Peter has already said to us, we, although, we don't, although we have not seen him, we love him. We're moved towards him. We're captured by his glory. And that, that, that draws us in to want to please him. You know, we, 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 know, we know the difference between salvation by works and salvation by grace. We're not doing good works so that we can be saved. We are, we are, we are striving to please God because we are already saved. No, remember in chapter 2, verse 9, which we just looked at last week, chapter 2, verse 9, he said that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Because you are this, because you have been called out of darkness, then live like that. Remember who you are. We are aliens and strangers in this world. One way, I think, of, of seeing this as we, as we take what Peter's saying here, the concept of being aliens and strangers and why we are aliens and strangers and moving into the next point where he moves towards government and, and the workplace, it's like our ceiling is higher than everybody else's. Uh, when we look up to, the, to those above us who will take care of us and have authority over us, we see a greater authority who has already taken care of us and that, that frees us to make sound decisions in this world in order to live productive lives in this society. 
It plays out um, in how we see human authorities in governments and, and the workplace. And so when we move towards thinking about um, uh, rulers, government, uh, um, emperors and governors, using the language of the text, we need to honour the human structures. Even though we are aliens here, we need to remember that we have a visa uh, and we have to operate as in, in the local environment. While we do wage war against our sinful desires, while we do wage war against our sinful desires, we do not wage war against the government. Let me just read to you from verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to emperor, the emperor, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Uh, human structure fits perfectly under the will of God. He is the king of kings. He is the sovereign God. Nothing takes God by surprise. Everything happens according to his will, and that includes um, government structure. It, it's sort of a cause and effect, really. Um, God has created humans for relationship. It's in our DNA, whether you are Christian or not, you are a God's cre- creation. And so as people created by God, made for relationship, we, we, we bond together. And you put two, two or more people together, you, you, you have politics. You have to work out who, who washes up after dinner. That's, that's politics, you know. Um, and so it's, it is actually just a natural conclusion that every society will have a, an order that it forms. It's an extension of us, the way that we're being created by God. The, the passage here doesn't tell us anything about whether the um, whether there's no clause here to distinguish between good government and bad government. It doesn't mention whether the government is a good one or not. It just says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. There's no directive here about which political system is best. Uh, There's described an emperor and a governor. That's just the fact of of what was in charge in the days that Peter was was ruling, uh, was writing. Uh, Was it um, Winston Churchill who said something about democracy being the worst form of government but it's no it's a horrible system but it's the best we've got something like that i've misquoted him but you get the get the idea the the bible doesn't prescribe here which which system is the perfect system in on in the human plane um but we are to live with a different master to those around us i could look at verse 16 live as free people Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. We're, f- we're free from all. It was Martin Luther, the, not Martin Luther King, the, the 500-year-old Martin Luther. Um, he's not 500 years old. He died 500 years ago. Um, but free from all, slave to all. I think that was his quote. Free, we're free from all because God is our king. That we don't, we don't ultimately answer to anybody else, but we are slave to all because, because this is God's will. This is God's way. For the Lord's sake, we have to submit. We don't escape from service, we just change masters. 
we, we, because our perspective moves from thinking the government is in control of everything to God is in control of everything, it actually liberates our minds to think differently about the government that we submit ourselves to. We're serving, actually, we're serving Captain Jesus. Um, submission is not a dirty word. And we're going to look more about this next week, uh, the word submission. But submission is not a dirty word. I think autonomy is, an, is a dirty word where we just live for ourselves and, and don't answer to anybody. The Bible is giving us this freedom to lift our eyes and see that we are not, we are not constrained to live um, uh, solely under, the, under, the, under being Aussies. You know? We are aliens here submitting and surrendering and saluting to God and under his authority, we live in harmony and, sub- and submission to the government that's here. We need to know what Peter is talking about in this whole section is to know the relationships that are around you. Understand them. In verse 17, he says, show proper respect to everyone. It's just universal, proper respect. Just um, As fellow humans, everyone deserves respect. Love particularly the family of believers. It doesn't mean don't love outside, people outside the church, but says particularly um, love those who also are submitting to God, who are in your church family. Um, fear God, have reverent fear for him, knowing that he is the judge of all, of all mankind and he is impartial and honour the emperor. So all of these are different examples of how we relate to others to other humans in our life and to God and to understand those relationships and, and submit in their various fashions, submit in various ways. Um, be good citizens and do your duty, but don't exchange kingdom work for civil work. Don't confuse the two. So here's, I want to move on to the next point, but it's, I think this is... We'll, if, if I'm going to get some discussions after this sermon, it's likely to be this point about what do we do with governments that are making wrong decisions. I, it seems clear to me that we live in a democracy. And so as aliens in this world understand the visa, we live in a democracy, so use, use the freedom in this country to have a voice. But make sure that your, the, your primary responsibility is to serve the king and Preaching the gospel, preaching that Jesus is king, Lord of all, saviour of all, is our primary goal. When we get, when, when, when addressing particular issues in this world overtakes our mission to see Jesus proclaimed, then it seems to me we have an imbalance. So we are free to to engage in political work. We're free to engage in uh, you know um, our, our vote and our voice to the government, etc. We're free to do that, but be sure that we are putting the perspective right. That our goal is not actually to make this world heaven, because God has already given us the solution to that, and our and we need to preach the gospel. Pray for good government, says. That's the implication here, and it's explicit in um, Paul's writings. Pray for good government. It's better to pray than to complain. One of those, one of those actually gets things done. Um, as we live in aliens in this world, we need to be, beware of human nature, be, be conscious of it. This is a short point. I think it's a very, very simple point to make. 
Uh, beware of human nature, verses 18 and 20, and, and your unrealistic expectations of those around you. Peter takes us all the way to the bottom of the pecking order in society. He takes us to slaves. Uh, of course, um, the Bible does not say slavery is okay. It just says that it happens, and if you're a slave, this is how you are to behave, and if you're a master of slaves, this is how you are to behave. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't say that this is a good model for society. Um, we, we can, I think there's, a, there's not an exact parallel, but there's quite an easy flow moving from slavery and mastery to employees and employers. It's not the same thing, but there's, there's a great overlap where if we want to apply this to our lives, we can think about our, our workplaces. That's what I'm going to do, but think about our workplaces. Uh, um, in verse 18a, he says, Slaves... In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Notice again that it's not um, just a simple command of um, thou shalt submit to your masters. It's that in response to your fear for God, submit to your masters. So um, submit to your bosses uh, or your teachers or or those who who are above you in this world. Change the focus of your fear and your submission and your reverence. It's not your fear of the master, it's your reverent fear of God that motivates you. Um, Because human bosses um, are actually sinners. Uh, Verse 18b, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. The the command for us to to submit and get in line and be cooperative, um, not to talk back and and to bite... Is, um, is not dependent on whether your boss is a nice boss or not. Um, we've all had, well, I can't, I don't know, you, you might have only had good experiences with bosses. Uh, I know I haven't. Uh, and, and it's hard to work in a place where you believe um, such and such should be done, but your boss is, is just not listening. Uh, but God says you need to be, you need to wrestle with the sin that is within and submit and do your bit to try and work things through and not bite back. It's in response, it's our consciousness of God that helps us to relate to those, those good bosses and those harsh bosses. Verse 19 says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Again, it's our, our perspective that God, that it's God that we're serving, which will help and train us to push down our instinct, to bite back, to fight, and to, to be angry and grumble and gossip, and to act wisely and cautiously and calmly and soothingly and be a peacemaker. Because, friends, we are sinners too. Look at verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Um, Everyone in this playing field, the master and the slave, the boss and the employer, we're all all sinners. We're all selfish by nature. And that that is what will drive the boss to do what he does or she, and that will be what drives you and I to do what we do as employers. Uh, but it's our, the way that we respond to both a good environment and a harsh environment will be our respect 
and our consciousness of God who watches everything. And we are wrestling with the sin within and trying to be holy because he is holy. Humans are broken. God is not. So lift your eyes to God and model yourself off him and not, not, one, not one another. The bottom line is that we are, we are sinners with a war waged within us and as we play this out, uh, we, we want to respond better. Now, God has also given us not just a, a goal, not just a, a, a greater, a higher ceiling to reach for, that God is our ultimate King of kings, Lord of lords, but he's also given us a real-life example of what this looks like. And it's, it's remarkable, as we just head towards our last point, as we entrust ourselves to God, the caretaker of our, our souls, we find that Jesus himself is our example. Jesus is our absolute shining example in all of this. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Um, I remember it was in the 90s, with the 90s, that the, the what would Jesus do was a big thing, and then it became not a big thing. Like someone said something negative about it, that, you know, it's not about what would Jesus do, it's what has Jesus done, you know, at the cross. And so there is a, a correlation there, but it doesn't, doesn't mean that the what would Jesus do um, phrase never works, can never apply. Uh, Peter says here, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do when treated harshly? What would Jesus do when um, insults are flung at him? What would Jesus do when he is accused of something that he just did not do? What would Jesus do? Well, we, we know clearly that when Jesus went to the cross, he, he submitted to the authorities. He spoke calmly and politely. He spoke truthfully. Uh, he remained silent when he felt that there was nothing gained in biting back or correcting or trying to prove that he's right. And when it was his turn to say something, he said he said it, and then he was silent. And he was dealt with um, the worse than anyone else in human history. In verse 22, he, we, we see that his example is that he was holy. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Our mouths betray us. It's better, better for us to be quiet than to then for our sin to be blurted out. It's better to hold our tongues, be patient, pray for God to help us to respond and then respond calmly. But God, the Lord Jesus Christ committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. As powerful and free as Jesus is, he is the Lord of all, the King of creation. He is the boss with a capital B. As, as, as powerful and free as he is, he submitted, he respected, and he, he did not retaliate. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He became like a, a slave. He became like the bottom of the, food, of the pecking order for you and, and for I. It wasn't just as an example Jesus didn't go to the cross just so that we could see what this looks like in real life. That's one thing that Jesus did. He demonstrates what it looks like to live um, under the reign of God in a world that is full of sinners. He, 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 he demonstrates perfectly what it looks like. When treated harshly, when insults are thrown at him, he doesn't retaliate. He was not surrendering to humanity, but surrendering to God. 
he entrusted himself to God. 23, verse 23b, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This word entrusted, we've talked about, we've, we've mentioned submission, uh, respect, love. This entrusted is, is handing over your trust to somebody else and he's entrusting himself ultimately to God, which is really what the flavour of this whole section is about that we don't retaliate because of the sinfulness around us. We entrust ourselves to one greater than this world and entrust to him. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Everyone will get what they deserve one day. We don't need to fight every fight. We don't need to be right all the time. Even though we know it, God also knows it. And everyone will get what they justly deserve one day. He did... For us, what no human could do. He did for us what no, no human would do so that we can start doing what was impossible for us before and that is to live for righteousness. Uh, look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Do you see why he did this? Not simply as an example, this is what it looks like to be a good human. No, not only that, but so that we can have a chance to live for righteousness. That, that wrestle that is inside our heart can now, can now, we can win this now only because of the cross of Christ, only because he first bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, so that we can die to sins. Say no to the rat race and live now for God. By his wounds you've been healed. It's a, it's a beautiful exchange, a beautiful swap. God's righteousness for our sin. Now, our fight is not for our society to, to just get better, although we can add value to our society. We can certainly give wisdom. We can get behind causes that are better. We can put our, our name down behind something that should be stopped we can do that, but our fight is not for a righteous society. Our fight is for our righteousness, one that God has already won for us, and then, therefore, to proclaim this kingdom news, that God has laid down his life. He's taken, the, he's taken our burden from us and paid for our sin, and we are, we are here to proclaim Jesus as king. And so, friends, lastly, what we need to do is entrust ourselves. As Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father, we entrust ourselves to him. And the why is just beautiful. Because he is described in verse 25 as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to Jesus, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. No government has that duty of care that they would save your soul. No government, uh, so we need to live like, like that's the truth. Uh, we'll be far less frustrated in this life when we let governments do what they do. Um, help them when we can. Pray for them always. And entrust ourselves entirely to the king and lover of our souls. It's very easy for us to get frustrated with the things, the way of this world. But what Peter says to us is remember who you are. You are aliens and strangers in this world. Engage in this world as those who have been set free from it. But um, 
in reverent fear to God, submit to everyone, give everyone due respect, love the body of believers, and give your souls entirely to the one who is trustworthy with it. Let's pray. Dear God, help us to change our perspective, to alter our perspective, to clear our minds of what this world in its own strength is able to do. Lord, help us to participate in this world to make it uh, wiser, uh, clearer um, and nicer. But Lord, we thank you that through Jesus Christ you have freed us from our own sin. You have given us a vision that is above this world. And Lord, I pray that as employees, as taxpayers, as citizens, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to serve King Jesus in all of these areas. Help us to change this perspective and to enjoy the freedom of submitting to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.